and of course you certainly can and maybe just put something there but I'd like to ask you to go back if you would to the book of 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 and again for you folks who are guests with us today we we want to thank you for for being here and we uh, trust this service will be a blessing to you and maybe help you a little bit in the Word of God 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 now, you can look up here for just a second. It'll take us a minute before we get into the actual outline. This, uh, of course, is uh, it's a Baptist church. Now, one of the things that we have, have sought to do around here, we're, we're very careful about this, is that we never, and in fact, I, I mean, you, I, you think you go back and listen to the tapes, and what you'll find is that we have never pushed a denomination. Because that has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with your relationship with God. The last thing in the world that we'd ever want to do, really, this is the honest gospel truth, is to make you a Baptist. Because you know what? You can be a Baptist and split hell wide open. And what is so sad is a lot of Baptists are. The thing that is so scary around here, we talk about this quite a bit is I fear that maybe some of the people in this place identifying yourself as a Baptist and a very regular part of this church, maybe even part of the fabric of this church, and yet have never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's just talk for a second about this term Baptist. Some of you folks know this. It could be a good reminder for us, and for those of you that don't, this may be a little bit of help to you. But the, the word Baptist is a word that was given to us by our enemies. It wasn't like we just sat around one day and said, you know what, what do you want to call yourself? Huh? You know, I'm kind of into this baptism thing. Why don't we just call ourselves Baptist? That isn't the way it shook down. In fact, the word Baptist is a whole lot like the word Christian. In fact, did you know that the title Christian is a title that we received not because we sat around and said, wait, what do you want to call ourselves now that we've been born again by the Spirit of God? That was a title that was given to us again by our enemies in First Corinthians, or uh, hello, Acts. There it is, medication. In <laughs> vapor lock, something, I don't know. In, in Acts chapter 13, what you'll find is that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And you see, in that period of time, and in that part of the world, what was going on is, you see, there was the pagan Rome, and the emperor was like, you know, God on the planet, and everyone worshipped the emperor. And here these Christians come along, and they're talking about having a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where he's not there, he's here. He's inside of you. And so it was a derogatory term. You, you... Christians, you, you people who have Christ inside of you. That was the, the, the term. It was a derogatory term. It was a belittling term. I mean, the very idea that, that Christ would be inside of you. And, and you can kind of trace the, the term Baptist in that same kind of way. Back in the, the second century, when the apostles had began to, to make disciples and, and, and the Word of God is going forth, what began to happen is groups of people began to deviate from the Word of God. They began to leave, as it were, their first love. And there was groups of people who would stand up and say, no, wait, 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 wait. Listen, 
That is, what, what you're teaching right there doesn't come from the Word of God. That's false doctrine. And those are the people through church history that were labeled heretics. And we've talked about this before. In the early stages, they would be labeled by the man's name that would stand up and do this, and everyone that believed what he believed and wanted to follow the Word of God, they would just begin to call them as if they were a cult by the man's name. And then in per after a period of time, you know, they, they began to talk about various doctrines, and, and they were, these people would stand up and say, Listen, you, you people don't understand. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. And, and you see, we're not the Jews. We're not spiritual Israel. And so you can't go into the word of God and start taking things that are meant for the Jews and trying to apply them to the church because we're the church. So listen, if you want to stay with, fall, or with true doctrine, sound doctrine, then listen, go to the places where Paul wrote to the church because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the one that revealed the mystery of the body of Christ, that it is the church. And they said, you know what, you guys are just Paulites. They called them Paulicians. And you see this group of people, one of the things that they were always standing against was the baptism of the state church. And you can check this out historically. I mean, this is not a shot. This is not, you know, trying to belittle any group of people. But the Roman Catholic Church instituted baptizing babies to remove their sin. These Bible-believing people would come along and they would say, Listen, I know that sounds nice. And I know it sounds like a real nice thing to do and it, it looks real spiritual. There's only one problem with that, though. You can't find that in the Word of God. You see, what the Bible says, and th this is what they would begin to declare, the Bible says that a person enters into a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that alone, that's what removes a person's sin. And you see, when a person would respond to that message, then what they would do is they would take them out, and in accordance with this word, they would baptize them, not to make them saved, not to remove their sin, but because they had already identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and as a statement of that to the world, they would baptize him again, and quite honestly, it infuriated the state church. And so the state church began to call us the Anabaptist. You people who are against baptism, and the baptism they were talking about was the baptism of the state church of baptizing babies to remove sin. And to be quite honest with you, we were against that baptism. And we are against that baptism because it is a blinding doctrine. It makes people think they are safe when you can never go to the Word of God, never find that. And again, this is not trying to pound anybody. This is not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just telling you historically what has happened. You can go and you can see that. Now, there's a group of people in the Reformation who began to come out of the state church, and they began to say, you know what? <laughs> Some of these old boys are right. I mean, check this out. The Bible says that the, the just shall live by faith. And that salvation isn't through baptism. It isn't through a church. And what it says is it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that other group had been saying that all along. Okay? So here comes all of these groups that splinter out of that. And they begin to say, you know what? That's what it means to be saved is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, so we've got these various groups that are out there today that would proclaim that same gospel that we do, that that's the way you receive Jesus Christ. And yet, those doggone Baptists, I mean, they just can't get in sync with everybody else. There's still one thing that would set us apart from virtually every other group on the planet. And we get dogged big time for this one, don't we? Do you know what doctrine it is? If she was with you. <laughs> Eternal security. The way, that, the way that our critics refer to this is once saved, always saved. And, and you know what? Now, now listen, our, our critics think that we are absolute idiots because we believe that. Where, Jamie, amen, buddy. One idiot to another, you know? Really, they, they think we're absolute idiots because we believe that if a person is once saved, they're always saved. Now, now listen. If we believe what our critics say we believe about once saved, always saved, you know what? I think we're absolute idiots too. But, but to be straight up with you, our critics don't get it right most of the time. Now, now check this out. What our critics would say is, you guys believe that if somebody walks your aisle and somebody says the, the words of a prayer and they call on the name of Jesus, then after they do that, they can go out and do anything they stink and want to do, and you guys believe that they're going to heaven. Now, how many of the people in this church believe that? Hello. You see, that, that is not what once saved, always saved means. Listen, if a person at one time in their life actually comes to true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, where they believe that he is God in human flesh who died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day and they come to him and by a surrender of their will they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to remove their sin at that moment. The Spirit of the living God moves inside of them. And Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says they're sealed with the Spirit of promise and they are forever saved. You can't get out of that sealing. However, if it really happened, if you genuinely were once saved, there is going to be fruit. Now listen, and this is... This is clear all over the Word of God. I mean, Jesus, how many times did he have to say, okay, now, now listen, there's going to be a group of people, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and do all the stuff, but there's not going to be the fruit there. And he says, now listen, the way you'll know them is by their fruits, not because they said the right words of a prayer. Okay, now, now listen, don't let it confuse you. You don't do anything to get saved. You get saved, and because you did, things start happening because the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and it's got to. It's going to bear fruit. We, we've got a book in the Bible, 1 John, and what it tells us is here's the fruit that you can expect to see in somebody who is truly born again. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 5. Now, as we move into this passage, let me just remind you of something, and, and that is that the book of 2 Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth 
written to believers in Jesus Christ, written to people who profess the same salvation that you and I profess. And let, yet look at what he says in verse 5. He says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Now listen, if it was just as easy as going back to you know, that time when you had some kind of emotional experience as a seven-year-old kid or whatever the case is, and, you know, you prayed the words of a prayer, and from that point on, your life was just, I mean, you lived it for self and for hell and the, the devil and all of that stuff. And listen, if salvation was just a matter of you going back to a place and time where you said the words of a prayer, then please tell me, what in the world is Second Corinthians 13.5 doing in our Bible? It's there because God's trying to let us know that if you genuinely know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is going to be evidence of that in your life. Now again, we can go to anywhere Jesus taught and find that. Again, we can go to the book of 1 John and see that the whole book was written so that we might know that we have really genuinely received the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what 1 John 5.13 says that, that book is doing in the Bible. But in Revelation chapter 14, what we're doing, and now please turn over there, we're looking at this group of 144,000. This is a group of people that as soon as the church is removed off of this planet, an event that we call the rapture, this is a group of people that God is going to use to carry out his plan on the earth. It's an incredible group. We've been learning all kinds of lessons as Laodiceans, and for you folks who are guests with us, the term Laodicean is a term we pull from Revelation chapter 3. It's in reference to those of us that are living in the seventh and final period of church history. We are the Laodiceans. We are a group of people that need some desperate help, according to what Revelation 3, 14 to 22 says. And so what we're doing as we come to chapter 14, with this incredible group of people that God holds up as an example for us, we're trying to look at this group of people and learn some lessons that we can apply as Laodiceans, as lukewarm believers in the, these last days. And what we've been seeing is this, the same point that I'm telling you about this morning. If you have genuinely received Jesus Christ, there is going to be evidence of that in your life. We see that there is visible evidence and audible evidence and moral evidence in the life of the 144,000. And what we're doing is we're going here and we're seeing how these things, these truths apply to us. Now, look at Roman numeral 1 and what we're going to do here is we're just going to quickly cruise through what we've seen. It's been a little while since we've been in Revelation 13 in light of our Bible conference and then last week Jim Stock preaching. And now what we're going to do is we're just going to look back over and we're going to just ask ourselves some very simple introspective questions about our life. The first thing that we learn from the 144,000 is that there is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. In verse 1, it says, And I looked, and lo, a Lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with Him, and 144,000, having His Father's name written in their foreheads. And we saw back in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, that though that sealing... What that was, the name of the, uh, that, that writing on the forehead was actually their sealing. They were sealed with the name of the Father in their foreheads. And so what we began to do is we began to look 
And what the Scripture says is true of those of us who are servants of God in the church age. And what we found, and we talked about this just a minute ago, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, we in this dispensation have been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 says that he's written something on us, but he didn't write it on our foreheads. What he did is he wrote it in our hearts. The Spirit of God wrote something in our hearts, and that sealing, according to 2 Timothy 2.19, is this, that if we've genuinely received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will depart from iniquity. That's the sealing. That's what God says is that seal that standeth sure. It's a sure foundation. You can bank on this, God says. Everybody that's genuinely saved, you're going to see in their life that they will gradually and consistently depart from iniquity. We saw also the visible evidence of this 144,000 through their submission. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And we saw that in this dispensation, in the church age, in John chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, he said that his followers would be marked by two things. Number one, they deny themselves, and number two, they take up their cross. All of that to say, what the New Testament teaches us is that if we have come into a relationship with the Father through the Lamb, there is going to be visible evidence of that in our life. And so here's introspective question number one. What would people know about my identification with the Lamb and His Father by looking at my life? By looking at my life. It's visible. We're, we're talking here about what I do. And I'm asking you, if somebody were to visibly try to look at your life, they just followed you around, and we're going to try to figure out, according to the Word of God, by looking at the life that you live, would they be able to figure out that you are identified with the Lamb and His Father? When I, when I first got saved, I started working at this youth camp, and we had this, uh, we had this poster on, on the wall in the, the cabin where I was, and it was this teenager... And he's sitting in the witness stand, and down at the bottom of it, it, it said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And that's really the same thing that we're talking about right here. If you really are a child of God, people ought to be able to look visibly at your life and see that your life matches what the Word of God says is going to be true of those who have received Jesus Christ. So is it evident by the seal of departing from iniquity? I mean, can people look and see your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, your faithful fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it evident to the world? But then there's a, a second thing. There's also audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father. That's the 144,000. They sing a song that... No man can learn but the 144,000. And what we find is that we also have a song. And in fact, Psalm 40 and verse 3 tells us that not only will we sing that song in eternity like it says in Revelation 5, but Psalm 40 and verse 3 says that right now what has happened is he's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust 
in the Lord. So there's a song, but also the speech of the 144,000. There is no guile found in their mouth. And what we do is, as we cross-reference, what we begin to see is that if we really know the Lord Jesus Christ, guile won't be found in our mouth either. And what we begin to see, once again, learning from this 144,000, just as there is audible evidence of their connection with the Lamb and His Father, there's audible connection or audible evidence in all of us who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our speech is going to be different. The song that is in our heart is going to be different than the song that the world sings. And I'm not talking about music. I'm just talking about there's joy there. There's a song there. And he cleans up this mouth. I'm asking you, is there audible evidence in the words that you say? Introspective question number two. What would people know about my connection to the Lamb and His Father by listening to the words of my mouth, what I say? Is it evident by the words that you say to your family? Is it evident by the words that you say to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it evident by what you say about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there a song in your heart? And then we've moved to this third thing, and we've spent weeks and weeks on this, just as we have the other ones. The fact that there is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and His Father. There is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and His Father. And look at verse 4 of Revelation 14. It says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And we've talked now, again, weeks and weeks about the importance of this in our culture. We are living in a sex-crazed society where even people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ are guilty of committing the same sexual sins that the heathen commit, the Gentiles. What Romans chapter 1 says the reprobates do. What Second Peter says the false prophets do. It's an amazing thing that's going on. If you could get into the minds of, of those of us in this, these last days, the Laodiceans. Guys, it's, it's a scary, scary thing. There is going to be moral evidence in the life of people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you, introspective question number three, what would people know about my relation to the Lamb and His Father by what they, correction there, by what they learn from my character, what I am. Now, and I'm asking you to think through each one of these. Is there visible evidence? Is there audible evidence? And now listen. Now think with me. Is there moral evidence that you are in a relation with the Father through the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, now listen, if, if somebody were to be able to, and you didn't know it, but on their computer screen, every thought that you have comes up. Every secret desire that you have in the, the whole sexual realm, if that were to come up on somebody's computer screen, would they think, based on that, 
that you have a relationship with the holy God of the universe. It's 144,000. They, for seven solid years, did not defile themselves with women. So I think, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. But I think it's good for us all just to kind of clear off a little space and just say, okay, now I've heard all the preaching on this stuff. But is there genuinely visible evidence? Is there genuinely audible evidence? Is there genuinely moral evidence that I am a child of God? And if you waver on that, one of two things is true. You either need to come into a, a genuine relationship with God through the Lamb and get saved, or we need to make sure that we remove that stuff out of our life like the Word of God instructs those of us that know Him and get our life and our relationship, our connection, identification with Him, get that in proper order. But the option is not just to be look at it and say, well, yeah, got me there. And for us to just move on and just skate on through life as if this doesn't matter because, folks, I mean, this is some sobering stuff that we're talking about here. This is what the Scripture says is going to be true of those of us that know Him. All right, so we, we, we've talked about these things. Let's start getting into the outline. All this time, we've just been cross-referencing because, again, this has been such a... This is, Satan has such a stronghold in this culture on this subject. We've tried to just get ourselves ready before we just scoot into the outline. And so now we're going to move into the outline from Revelation chapter 14. There is moral evidence of their relation to the Lamb and His Father. Look at verse 14 again. These, the 144,000, these are they which were not defiled with women for... They are virgins. And I, I think it's interesting that on either side of this statement that we just see here in verse 14, they're not defiled with women for they're virgins. I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit talks about the salvation of the 144,000 at the end of verse 3. Do you see it there? talks about being redeemed. And then drop down to the end of verse 4. Again, he talks about their salvation. That's letter A on your outline. We're going to talk about the salvation of the 144,000 servants of our God. And I'll show you how this relates to their morality in just a minute. But what's interesting here is that the Holy Spirit refers to their salvation as being redeemed from two things. Okay, now look at the end of verse 3. John says that the 144,000 are redeemed from the earth and then at the end of verse 4, John says that they are redeemed from among men. Okay, now I want you to get that on your study sheet, but I want you to just look at it for a second. I want to make sure that you get that down, not just on your sheet, but in your head. Check it out. They are redeemed from two things. They are redeemed, say it with me, from the earth. They are redeemed from among men. Okay, now, now we've talked about some of the particulars of the the salvation or the redemption of the 144,000 before and the fact that their salvation is different from ours. Okay, now, if I were to croak right now and you were going to have to 
Turn to your neighbor and tell them how the 144,000 salvation is different. Could you do it? Okay, so we might need to review on this, okay? Now listen, the Apostle Paul referred to himself as one who was born out of due time or due season, okay? And what you begin to see as you look in the Word of God is that the Apostle Paul was born out of due time or due season because he was one who pictures for us the salvation of the 144,000. Because you see, the Apostle Paul was saved unlike anybody in this room. He's cruising down the road one day thinking he's doing God a favor because he's killing Christians, and the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his blazing glory shows up on that road to Damascus, bam! And, he, I mean, he knocks his lights out, literally. I mean, he's, he hits the deck, and he understands who he's dealing with here, and he calls upon the name of the Lord as the Lord revealed himself to him, and he was saved. Now listen, once we're raptured out of here, the same exact thing is going to take place on this planet once again. And now, God's going to do it 144,000 times over. And you know, check this out. You know, we look back in that first century and we see how God used the Apostle Paul to, to literally change the world. I mean, is that an overstatement? He literally changed the world. Now, can you imagine cloning the Apostle Paul 144 times over? Listen, that's why this group of people is going to have the impact that they're going to have on this planet. That's why this group of people is going to be able to accomplish what the Church of Jesus Christ has not been able to accomplish in the last 1960-something years with hundreds of millions of believers down through the course of history. And 144,000 of them are going to hit this planet. And what the Bible says is they will become his servants and they will go into every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue and people. And when you see in Revelation chapter 7, when that group of people appears before the throne, they have one people from every one of those areas, from every tribe and kindred and tongue and people and nation. Okay? But look at what it says about this group of people, about their salvation at the end of verse 3. They are redeemed or purchased, they're bought back, it says, from the earth. Okay, now, obviously, when the Lord actually redeems them, he doesn't remove them from the earth, because, again, they are the ones that he uses in this seven-year period during the tribulation as his servants to carry out his mission on the earth. The end of verse 3 isn't talking about removing them from the earth. The word is redeeming them. He says, from the earth. And again, prior to their redemption, the earth, if you will, or the world, will have held some power over this group of people. But once they're redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that power will be released, and this earth, this world, will no longer hold that group of people in its grasp. But not only will they be redeemed from the earth, the end of verse 4 says, as we've already seen, they will be redeemed from among men. You know, you, you look at the, uh, what these 144,000 are actually going to do and how God is actually going to use this group of people. And you know what? If it weren't for the statement in verse 4, 
We, we might be tempted to think that maybe what God was planning to do was contracting 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that was already in heaven to come down to this earth in some kind of superhuman form to pull off what they're going to pull off. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know that these 144,000 are going to be literal Jewish men who will actually be alive at the rapture of the church and will enter into the tribulation period, which means that most likely the 144,000 is already living and breathing alive somewhere on this planet. And from among the, the world's population, right now it's at 6 billion people, the rapture, of course, is going to remove part of them, and let's, let's shoot the moon. Okay, let's shoot the moon and say that a billion people are going to be removed. Anybody believe a billion people are going to be removed? Not me. But check it out. Let, let's just shoot the moon and say that. Out of at least five billion Christ-rejecting people on this planet, once the rapture takes place, God is going to redeem from among the world's population 144,000 Jewish males to himself to be his purchased possession and to be his special servants in the tribulation period. And check out the last part of verse 4. That 144,000 will simply be the first fruits of those redeemed unto God and to the Lamb in the tribulation period. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that the, the, the concept of the first fruits is really an Old Testament concept that had to do when, uh, when the crops would begin to come in at harvest time. The first fruits that were to come in, God told the Jews that what they were to do is that they were to take that first fruits from the crops and they were to bring that as an offering to God. And what that offering to God actually was was a statement of their faith that they believed and trusted that God was going to bring more of the harvest in time to come. That was the first fruits offering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15, the, the first fruits uh, uh, or the first converts of a particular region are referred to as first fruits. And again, indicating that there was going to be a much larger harvest to follow. And that's what, the way the word is used here at the end of verse 4. The 144,000 are simply the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb of a much larger harvest to follow. And we've already talked about the fact in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after God redeems these 144,000 to be his purchased possession and his special servants, what he does is he uses them to then go into the world and reach untold multitudes and, and redeem them unto, the, unto God and unto the Lamb from every tribe and kindred and tongue and people. So that's what he's talking about there. But the main thing that I'm wanting you to see, the thing that we need to learn this morning is that their salvation is characterized by two things. They are redeemed from the earth and they are redeemed from among men. Now, what's interesting about that is that though our salvation is different than the 144,000, we got saved in a different way. But you know what? Our salvation can be defined in those same exact terms, can it not? This is letter B. Listen, the salvation that we've received as God's servants in the last days of the history of the church age could be defined in the same exact way. Number one, we were redeemed from the earth or the world. 
And we were redeemed from among men. And we'll get to that on your next page there. You, you don't have to necessarily go to that right now. But now let, let's talk about the fact that we were redeemed from the earth or from the world. Okay? Now this is somewhat of a review. This is going to come in a fast fashion, so get your pencil sharpened. And let's just remind ourselves of, of what this thing of the earth or the world actually is as far as the Word of God is concerned. Okay. The biblical meaning of the, the word world is that it is the system of evil that is against God over which Satan is the head. It is a, a system of evil that is against God over which Satan is the head. And that's why Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 refers to it as this present evil world. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4 refers to Satan as the, small g, the God of this world. That's why Jesus referred to Satan in John 12, 31 as the prince of this world. Again, because there is a system of evil. And this system of evil is comprised of only three basic things, and you know what they are. First John 2.16 says, all that is in the world. Here it is, all of it. Say it with me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That comprises that entire world system. It is the world system that before we came to know the Lord is our Savior, represented a lifestyle that God said characterized our lives. According to Ephesians chapter 2, what it says is that we walked according to the course of this world. That was our lifestyle. We were stuck in that system, and the, the actual walking, the actual living of our life was according to that world system that is against God over which Satan is the head. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says that what Satan's goal was when we were in that system is he was trying to conform us to his system. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26, this system that we're talking about, this system of evil, is what Satan used as a snare or a trap to take every single one of us captive at his will. Now, now listen, for believers, we're, we're getting all this down, and it's a great little synopsis for us. It's a great little review for us. But now listen, some of the people that are in this room this morning, you're caught in that trap. And you know what? I can just tell you my, my personal testimony of this thing. I, I, I didn't grow up a church-going kid. I was a street urchin in the city of Miami, and I thought I was doing my own thing, man. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I was going to be my own man. And as I'm walking through life, thinking I'm doing what I want to do, I didn't understand. Satan had me in a snare and was holding me captive at his will. And listen, some of you are still caught in that whole system of evil that we're talking about. Let's go on. Listen, it's that system that blinded us to God. 
and almost sent every single one of us to hell. And listen again, some of you are here this morning, and you're just like all of us were at one point. Listen, we were all caught in that system. And what, what the, the way that Satan operates in that whole world system is you can't see out of the system. You, you see Christians and they're talking to you, and you know what, it just seems like a bunch of, how do these people, how do they live like this? I mean, I don't see the psych. I don't see where they get the energy for all this. You know, you know what's happening? That world system, according to what the Word of God says, it's blinding you so that you cannot see out of that system. And what's so wild is when we were in that system, it was that system that held such an appeal to us. I mean, hey, check it out. James 4, 4 says we were friends with it. 1 John 2, 15 says that we loved it. Check it out, y'all. Listen, we were in the world, and the world was in us. And it engulfed us, and, and that whole system was ingrained in us. And would you listen? Oh, guys, listen. Out of that system... The Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us from it. Do you understand the word redeemed? He purchased us out of it. He bought us out of it. And, and do you recall that to buy us required the rarest, the most precious substance that has ever existed on this planet? To buy us, it, was, it cost the blood of God. The blood that flowed through the veins of the fleshly body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Peter says, listen, what it cost God to redeem you, measly little silver and gold couldn't do it. It cost the blood of of God, the precious blood of God. And listen, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, when we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us, and we accepted His death, burial, and resurrection as the only thing that we were trusting to remove our sin, you know what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 happened to us? Check this out. It says that we were espoused to Him as our one, one what? Our one husband. Do you understand that? When He redeemed us, He chose us to be His bride. We've been espoused to Him as our one husband. Now check this out. 
according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 14, the way that the Spirit of God reveals His truth to us is by comparing things spiritual with things spiritual. I want you to see what the Holy Spirit of God has done here. The only other time that you can find what you find in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, this thing of being a spouse to one husband, the only time that you can find that in the entire Word of God is one place. You remember where it is? Matthew chapter 1, with Joseph and Mary. And you know what you got there? You've got a virgin who is espoused to one husband. And though the relationship they have is that of husband and wife, the marriage has not yet been consummated. Mary remains a virgin. And listen, in that same way, when we were redeemed from the world, what happened to us is we entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where we're espoused to Him. The marriage has not yet been consummated. You know what? We're expecting that at any moment. But what he says is until that time when the marriage is consummated, 2 Corinthians eleven two, he says, I want you to remain a spiritual virgin. And listen, now that he's redeemed us from the earth, now that he's redeemed us from the world, and not just redeemed us, but died so that we could have that relationship with him. Do you understand that when we go flitting and flirting back in with that world system again, with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, after he died to bring us out of that, do you understand something happens to our spiritual virginity? That's what I'm talking about. There's moral evidence. Do you understand this redemption out of the world to God is a moral issue? Are we connected on that? You see that? Because we've been espoused to him as our one husband, and so he says, listen, until we consummate the marriage, don't crawl back in bed with the world system. Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. <coughs> Proverbs 31. And of course, Solomon is writing. We don't have the time to go through all the proof of it, but verse 1 of chapter 31 says the words of King Lemuel, and this, of course, is, is Solomon. And you remember his deal, right? The man had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700, 300 is how many? Okay, 1,000. And he comes down in Proverbs 31, and he asks the question in verse 10, Who can find... A virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies. We've already talked about why it's far above rubies. Because her price, in order to redeem a virtuous woman, it costs the blood of God. It, oh man, it, it's it's a whole lot more than rubies or silver and gold. You remember 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 28, Solomon said, You might be able to find one in a thousand men that's worth shooting. But he says, no offense, ladies, you can't find one in a thousand women. He ought to know, right? 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he says, you know what? It wasn't one in a thousand. You want to talk about how rare a virtuous woman actually is? And what's interesting is that the only other place in the Word of God where the word virtuous woman shows up is in reference to one woman. And this is a church that knows who that woman is, right? That woman is, and she's Ruth. And in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11, it refers to her as a virtuous woman. And I want you to check out, remember who she was. Now, do you remember? She was a Gentile from a cursed race, the Moabites. They had the curse of God upon them. Here she is. And this Gentile from a cursed race is redeemed by a Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem who takes her out of his harvest field to make her his bride. Okay, anybody missing the picture here? You know what happened to all of us? We were in the cursed human race and a Jewish kinsman redeemer who became flesh and dwelt among us, he came to this planet, he came to the city of Bethlehem, and the reason that he came was to redeem us to himself, and now he says, get busy in my harvest field until I take you out to be my bride. Okay, now listen. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 is me and you. We are the virtuous woman of remember who's writing this who's writing it Solomon the son of son of David is writing about a virtuous woman and look at what he look at what he says in verse 11 the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her and you know what listen now that our Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem has redeemed us to himself, you know what he wants from us, y'all? While we remain on this earth, our one husband wants to safely trust in us. Now, you know what's interesting in Proverbs 31? is it's going to go on from here, and this is where everybody loses themselves in all of the women's conferences and talking about all the, the virtuous things that she does. And that's all cool, and it's all good, and it's all there, and I believe all of it, and it's all great, okay? But now check it out. You know what some of us do? We are so busy for God. And I mean, we're making disciples and we're giving our money and we're showing up for all the services and we're going on missions trips and we're vacuuming the carpets with the church. We're doing, doing, doing. Only one problem. The heart of our husband can't safely trust us because oh, we're doing all that stuff. Man, oh man, we have such an infatuation with the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and 
the pride of life. And listen, it's time, y'all, that we stop basing our relationship on the Lord Jesus Christ and all the junk we do for Him. And start coming to the place to where His heart can just trust us as we walk through this world's system of evil that we have been redeemed from. Amen? Oh, let's, just, let's just cruise through the Word of God and let God speak to us here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And now, oil up your Bible here, okay? Because I, I would like to, to move through these quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And the reason I brought you here is I just want you to see, we weren't just redeemed from the world but we were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Him, and that's what this whole thing was about. So that we might be connected in a love relationship with Him, and so that we might be true to Him. Hey, hey fellas, can I just ask you this? You got, you got your wife, okay? And man... She keeps the house immaculate. She packs your bucket. She does, does, does. She keeps your nasty car all cleaned out on the inside. She keeps your bathroom cleaned up. She picks up your clothes all behind you. She does all that stuff. Wonderful woman, but you know what? Every time you go to work, you just don't know if she's crawled in the sack with somebody. You, you okay with that? You know what you would, you would, you would say? You know what, I, I'd rather I could just be able to trust you, and I'll pick up after myself and pack my own bucket, all right? But I would like to know when I'm at work that you're thinking about one person, and that would be me. Because of the relationship that we have. And God says, listen, I took you out of that system that almost sent you to hell. So that you could be in a love relationship with me. You're reconciled now to me. And, and turn over just a, a couple of pages to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and verse 4. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of verse 3, who gave himself for our sins. Okay, now here, here's why, y'all. That he might deliver us. From this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And would you just please look at that, guys? This is the will of God, our Father. That we be delivered from this present evil world. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 4, 
<coughs> says, whereby <coughs> are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. And listen, that's what happened to us when we got saved. You know what happened? He imparted to us His own nature. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ moved inside of us. And you know what happened to us? Look at what it says. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you understand that what the whole purpose of this connection with Him and this love relationship with Him was so that we can escape from that system that held us at that one time? And I grieve, guys, because the guy that barks out all of this stuff every Sunday, I still, every day of my life, still feel that pull from the world. Do you feel it? And you know what? What this is is just us coming back to to reality together and saying, what in the world's wrong with us? We've forgotten some stuff. We've forgotten what that system was all about. We forgot where that system was, was leading us. We've been brought out of that thing, and it's against the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He is, and He took us out of that so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to Him. Turn back just a page or two or three to James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, watch this now, and to keep, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know what? It's just another way of saying, hold on to your spiritual virginity. You're identified with the Lord Jesus Christ now. You're in a love relationship with Him. You're espoused to Him as your one husband. And don't be spotted by the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He comes along in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 and He says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You used to think according to that world system. Something needs to happen in your mind now so that you are not continuously, now that you've been redeemed and now that you've been espoused to Him, you can't go back and be connected in that kind of thinking with that system that's so against everything that He is. He comes along in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. And He says, listen, if, if you've been be risen with Christ, in other words, you're in that relationship with Him now. Seek the things which are above. Where Christ sits at the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You know what? Oh, I know we preach that and preach that and preach that. But isn't it just absolutely sick that God would even have to tell us that after that system is what held us and what blinded us and almost sent us to hell? That God would have to say, now listen, boys and girls, okay, now that we have this love relationship with one another, please don't go back and seek the things that are in that system. 
Men, if you married your bride and she keeps wanting to, to go back and have relationships with all of the guys that she used to have before she married you, are you, I mean, are you going to be thinking, whoa, 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 what, what, was, what was that thing that we did at the altar there, that getting married thing? And I just wonder if our one husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't sometimes look down at us and say, now, wait, 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 what did you think this salvation was, Mark? What did you think that was all about? Why are you going back to all of those other lovers? You're a spouse to me now. And, and, and you know what? I can wear you out with the verses. This is, we're not even going to get to all of them, but listen, James chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Well, I don't, I don't love the world anymore. We're just friends. God says, don't you know that that's enmity? That's the total opposite of everything that I am? And you guys, because you know the Word of God, you know how the verse starts, don't you? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say all the verse. It starts off with, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What I'm trying to get you to see, guys, we've been redeemed from the world. And now that we have, when we go back to that world system, God says to me, now it may not be this to you, and for some of us, maybe it's never really gotten down in our thinking. But to God, it's a moral issue. Do you see that? I, I, I've taken you everywhere, all over the Word of God, to show you. To God, it's a moral issue. We become spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. But there is moral evidence for those of us that really know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is moral evidence. And so we need to lay our lives next to the Word of God and say, what needs to happen here? Do I need to get saved or do I need to get my life right? But something needs to happen. Okay, and then quickly, let's look at the second thing. Just like with the 144,000, we were redeemed from the earth, from the world, and we were also redeemed from among men. And go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for a second. <coughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Listen, you know what God is saying to those of us that know Him, that are believers in Jesus Christ? 
Don't allow yourselves now to be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, now listen. I, I, I know I don't need to say this. We do have new believers in the room, and sometimes all of us, in our zeal as new believers, we, 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 we mess this one up big time. A lot of us get saved, and buddy, just as soon as we get saved, you know, and we're saved out of that world system, we have such a distaste for it. Here's all of our friends that are over in that system, and, yeah, well, I can't be with them anymore, man, because now I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, you know. And we've got all this zeal going on, and, and you know, we, we can't be with those, oh, those earthlings, those worldlings, those people that were just like we were two days ago. When he's talking about getting yoked here, he's not talking about having people that you just love because they're your friends. And you know what? Now that you have been redeemed out of the world and they're still caught in that snare, the most loving thing in all the world you could do is be able to share what changed your life. And you don't have to come on them with both feet. You don't have to, you know, beat them over the head with the Bible and... You know, you don't have to say, well, you know, if you're not going to get saved, we're not going to be able to be friends anymore. You know? No, 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 no. Man, they were your friends before you were saved. They can be your friends after you. Now, you cannot go yoke yourself with all the things that unbelievers do. You can't get yourself tied into relationships with them. And, and, and we're a body, okay? We've got to we gotta, we got to deal with this as a body. Some of the young people that are growing up in this church, some of our kids, some of our singles, are busily yoking themselves with unbelievers in, in a dating relationship. And listen, this is not a legalistic church, but, but listen, in this culture, Normally, the people that you marry are first people that you, you date. And the safest way in the world for you never to yoke yourself in a marriage bond with an unbeliever is don't ever date one. And, 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 and now listen, I don't know what we're sometimes thinking, but we've been espoused to one husband, and he says, I redeemed you from among men, and he says, now listen, do not allow yourselves to be yoked with unbelievers. Look at verse, uh, continue on in verse 14. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part had he... Uh, what, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple... Of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Listen. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And he says, now listen. Now that we have this connection, what connection do you have with any of these relationships. I mean, it goes really w without saying that, man, we don't have any connection with any of that. 
I, I don't have the time to take you. We've got to get out of here. But in, in Exodus 34, verses 10 through 16, you know what God is saying there? He is telling the nation of Israel, now listen, I don't want you to intermarry with, and he begins to list the groups, the, the Hivites, the, the Perizzites, the, and he just goes through all of these ites, you know, all these, these, these groups of people, and he says, now listen, do not marry these people. Now listen, what you need to understand is all of those groups of people that he tells them not to marry were Hamites. They were of a different race, but now listen, the issue wasn't no interracial marriage. That wasn't the point that God was trying to make. The point that he, and he, he spells this out for you in Exodus. He says, because what will happen, you intermarry with them, what will happen is you will begin to worship their gods. You will begin to go, listen, a whoring after their gods. And it becomes a moral issue again. It becomes a moral issue to God. And you know what you see? In Ezra chapter 9, we saw this two weeks ago. Ezra comes in. You remember, he comes into Jerusalem. He brings that remnant of people. And what he finds is here are God's people. They've done the very thing that God told them not to do. And the holy seed, he said, have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. And you go to Psalm 106, verses 34 to 42, and you know what you find out? Using the cross-references that God gave you, what was happening as the Holy Seed was mingling with them, they were literally sacrificing their children to the pagan gods. And you know what happens when believers get yoked together with unbelievers? The offspring comes forth, and you know what you end up doing? Offering your children to the gods of this pagan culture that we live in. And, and, and here, you know what? We, we see people We see people in this church come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and their spouse doesn't get saved. And you know what? They go many times through years of torment and trial and pain and agony because they're in a relationship where one knows Christ and one doesn't. And it's a terrible thing. What do you do? 1 Corinthians 7 says, stay put. And yet, some of us are playing with fire. We're putting ourselves in the potential of joining ourselves in relationships like that. And guys, it doesn't fit with who we are and to God. Again, he says, you go a whoring after those relationships. And it becomes a moral issue with God. Listen, He saved us. He redeemed us from the earth, from the world. He saved us from among men. And we are to be separate. We're to be something different from the world. Yes, we love them, man. And we get in the world, but we don't let the world get in us. Because we're a spouse to one husband and in his heart what he wants more than anything else is while we're still here he wants to be able to just trust us and I ask you can he trust you living in this world system can he trust you to keep your eyes and your focus and what you're seeking 
on the things above and not the things of the world, not the people of this world system. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. So many times, don't flake out on me. Just bow your head and just still your heart for just a moment. We don't, we don't go through uh, every Sunday uh, a come forward type invitation and have people come and, and nail things down at an altar. But you know what? Sometimes that wouldn't be a bad thing. Because God brings us to a place many times where a decision does need to be made. And guys, what we've done is we've just simply this morning looked at the 144,000 and what God says was true of their salvation, what we've seen through the Word of God. The same exact thing was true of our salvation. The sad thing is, is what will be true of them for a good portion of people in this room isn't true of us. And today... Would you just nail that thing down? Would you talk to God right now about what He's been trying to knock on your heart's door to get you to open up to Him? And would you right now just pour your heart out to the Lord? And for those of you that are here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I don't know if you've ever, maybe you've never heard that the Scripture talks about the fact that what God wants to have is a love relationship with you, where you become a spouse to Him as your one husband. He wants to make you His bride. He's planning on coming for His bride here in, in just a little while, according to what the Scripture says. And He wants to redeem you to Himself. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe your eyes open today to the fact that you are in the snare of this world system and Satan is holding you captive and trying to blind you. And God brought you here today and has opened your eyes to be able to see what's going on and, and what God wants to do to buy you out of that. And listen, if God is speaking to your heart today, our pastors are going to remain on either side of the front of this room, just up by the front doors, they'll be standing there. And we invite you today, if God is speaking to your heart about you entering a relationship with Him, why not come talk to one of these men? If you're a lady, we'll have a, a, them get a lady to, to spend some time with you in a, a private room here in the back to answer whatever questions you have. If you're a man, we'll have a man that'll deal with you. But listen, if, if God is speaking to your heart today, the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And I want to urge you that if God is speaking today to you, you would respond to him while he's calling. And Lord, I pray specifically for 
folks that are in this room that have never received Christ. And I pray that you'd draw them to yourself, convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I pray today that the miracle of salvation would take place in the lives of, of people in this room. And Lord, for those of us that you have already bought out of this world system and from among men, oh Lord, may we remain separate from this world system and from the relationships that we have no business yoking ourselves to. May we remain spiritual virgins until the time that we consummate the marriage with you. And we long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.